Good morning. This is Pat and Ron Save the World. Uh, I'm Roderick Makem. I'm Pat Brown, and I acknowledge that it may well be the afternoon or evening for you. Oh, yes. Thanks, Thanks for that, Pat. <laughs> it's, uh, it is the morning here in, uh, in sunny Richmond in Australia, and it's, uh, it's a bit damn hot, particularly since we've just turned the air conditioning off, so you fuckers can actually hear us. Yeah, uh, don't say we never do anything for you. Yeah, sweating our asses off here. Anyway, um, so we've got a few things to get to this week. A um, couple of interesting things happening in the world. Uh, but just before we do, um, we've uh, just been kicking an idea around about a possible name change for the podcast. And we thought we, thought we would ask you, our listeners, um, you know, what you think about that. Uh, so the name we were thinking about... Uh, to, aside from, obviously, Pat and Rod Save the World, is uh, a much more snappy title, Killing Stupid. Killing Stupid. I have reservations about it. I love the name, full disclosure. My reservations are, though, that it's quite opinionated, and we set out in this podcast to not necessarily have an opinion on everything, although <laughs> we, we do note that we've ended up having more opinions than we expected. Yeah, we, we kind of uh, originally thought this was going to be just a couple of guys with, uh, you know, without particularly strong opinions one way or another, you know, discussing issues on their merits. Turns out we are a lot more opinionated than we thought. But uh, but anyway. Turns out we're much more conventional than we thought in that respect <laughs> as well, in the sense that we were trying to distinguish ourselves from talking heads and actually I think we have basically approximated them. So bully bully to us for being hypocrites at the start <laughs> um, so what's on the agenda man tell me all right well um, uh, one of the things which I, I thought and um, you emailed this one to me and I, uh, I thought it was a really interesting one was um, uh, the story of Mazar Mahmood apologies if I'm pronouncing uh, his first name incorrectly um, uh, the um, he was a, uh, a British tabloid journalist uh, who had a persona of uh, the fake sheik or sheikh? How do you pronounce that? Um, sheikh. Sheikh. <laughs> I can't. I, I can't do. I that. like to pronounce it. I, I can't. The, I can't do the throat thing. Uh, that's um, fair enough. I like. I like to pronounce it the fake sheikh. <laughs> he worked for the Sun, by the way. Yeah. So Murdoch's tabloid. News of the world as well, didn't he? Um, I think it was this. It was News of the World, and then when it went. Earlier. That's exactly yeah. right. And then for the weekend sun afterwards. Yeah. But um, he's a Murdoch um, uh, minion, I suppose you'd say. Yes. Um, and, uh, and he's, um, he's now, uh, you know, uh, facing a bit of embarrassment over a, um, uh, a documentary that the BBC aired, um, which, uh, you know, basically accuses him of, uh, well, getting most of his great scoops um, while using the uh, the persona of the fake sheikh, I, I can't do it. Man. Don't, don't I, can't, even, I can't do it. I don't don't <laughs> try, man. I mean, it's I fine. I um, basically entrapping people um, and getting all these stories really under uh, ridiculous fault pretenses, getting people to do to break the law when they would otherwise have no intention or um, or inclination to, and then writing stories about that. And it um, seems that he would actually apply quite a bit of pressure yeah. and really, like, lure them into it by promising them, like, enormous career advancement and other mm. things of that nature in order to procure the crime, yeah. basically. And I think one of the more interesting things about this is the zest 
with which the English police have been prosecuting people caught up in these scandals that yeah. are essentially designed by this puppet master. Yeah, as in I don't know enough about English, the uh, the English criminal law, but I suspect it's similar to the Australian because it's you know Australian law to a large extent comes from the English one. Um, you know, if the police had done these sort of things, they wouldn't have been able to prosecute. Like mm. you can't, like you can't, you can't entrap like that. Mm. Um, or at least there are various hurdles you have to overcome um, to try and uh, convince a judge that it's fair. But if a like you know, if this tabloid journalist has gone out and done it, they seem to have been able to still get convictions. And uh, they also seem to have had a direct line into the Murdoch Empire to get the information about what had apparently happened and. Mm. The links between Murdoch tabloids and the uh, Scotland Yard boys are well aired owing to the um, hacking scandals yeah. of a couple of years ago. So that's another interesting twist to the thing. But to give you a sense of what this chap would do, he would dress up in the robes of a rich oil sheikh to the uh, his um, his costume uh, down to the smallest detail, like a five thousand dollar Rolex on his uh, on his wrist, paid mm. for by the uh, paid for by the newspapers. Mm. Um, and he apparently had incredible success ingratiating himself with various five, people. Five thousand pounds, sorry, not dollars. <laughs> and I can actually attest to this from personal experience. Um, a friend of mine, who shall remain nameless, made a sport. Um, he lived in the Middle East for a while and he made a sport out of uh, wearing Saudi robes to the horse races um, in the, at the Sydney, what do they call it? The Australian Jockey Club, the AJC? Not a clue, man. Anyway, he would get um, admission for free and was treated extremely well by people um, because he was an Indian guy who just was pretending to be a Saudi sheikh. <laughs> so it does work. Um, and this guy was a real expert at it. Yeah. He even had an entourage of pretend bodyguards, assistants, um, all sorts of uh, uh, props to help carry off this impression because obviously over time it got more and more sophisticated as the scoops, in inverted commas, that he got yeah. were more and more um, uh, um, sensational. Yeah. So the, the question is, like, as a journalist, Rod, would you consider, would you consider this journalism? No. It's um, what? What do you think it is? What would you call it? Um, it's uh, muckraking entrapment. Yeah, basically. I, I was trying to come up with a, a way of putting it, but I think that 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 covers it pretty well. It's I, if you're creating the news, yeah, then it's not journalism, and in a large extent, that's exactly what he like. He what he you know one example, and this is from a, a New York Times article uh, discussing it. You know he. he um, he uses the money of the newspaper to fly a uh, a model to the Canary Islands, and this was in uh, in '96. Um, and as this sheikh, uh, promising her like a lucrative modelling contract, um, in current, and then you know once he's you know flown into these islands, wine and dine her, said you know the world is your oyster, stick with me, kid. Um, then encourages her to go and buy cocaine from him from a dealer he had hired for that specific purpose. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, uh, this girl who thinks, oh, I'd better go, better do this then. Um, there's a multi-million dollar bloody modeling deal. Don't want to piss this guy off. Um, 
then writes an article for the uh, News of the World, uh, branding her a mob-connected drugs pusher. Um, like that's <laughs> that's flat out not journalism, um, because there's uh, uh, there is no indication whatsoever mm. that this model before or since had, well, <laughs> any mob connections uh, or any inclination to be uh, to be dealing drugs. Um, okay. Yeah. I don't want to be hung up on it, but you say that journalism, it is not when someone ostensibly reporting the news is creating it. Yeah. What about the phenomenon of gonzo journalism, which inverted the traditional structure of the pure observer journalist and turned it on its head, most famously typified by Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah. Really put himself at the centre of many of the stories and was something of an activist journalist. I mean, yeah. Would you consider him a journalist? Uh, to an extent. I mean, it also depends. I mean, he was writing for, for things like Rolling Stones in the, you know... Sure. ...in the 60s and 70s. Sure. Um, and uh, the publication you work for and what they expect and what they will let you get away with um, uh, you know, will have uh, obviously a lot to um, a lot of impact on the stories you end up coming up with. Uh, I think you could probably fairly easily draw a distinction between the gonzo journalism of Hunter S. Thompson mm. and the I'm going out here to trick people into committing crimes and then writing on the crimes that I have tricked them into committing by Mahmood. So it's I mean, just to sort of drill down into what this distinction is, because you were saying before that the thing that sort of distinguished it for you was this idea of the journalist making the story. Mm. But actually, it seems that it's more the issue of entrapment, to your mind, that makes it not journalism. Well, I mean, that's definitely a massive part of it. Yeah. Um, but, um, that, I mean, uh, what uh, Thompson was doing, um, he was writing about himself and making himself the centre of the story. Um, running for local elections and the like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, what Mahmood is doing, he's not writing about himself. He's not uh, putting himself at the uh, at the centre of the story. He's still pretending to do actual journalism. Um, mm. Mm. Uh, in like, he's not actual, like, he's still pretending to do journalism in the traditional sense. Um, yeah, which, certainly Hunter S. Thompson was less... Yeah. Uh, interested in actually calling himself a journalist. Yeah, like there's not he, he, this guy uh, Mahmood. He he's uh, presenting these stories as traditional journalism. Mm. Um, there was never any of that sort of. Uh, uh, you, you could never have accused Thompson of that. No, um, no, that's true. Yeah. And uh, just as another example of the kind of entrapment that this chap would engage in, there's a famous. Um, I believe he's a Scottish MP. Very left-wing guy by the name of George Galloway, um, very vocal advocate of the Palestinian cause, and um, Mahmoud took him to dinner, pretending to be a sheikh, and basically tried to engage him in an anti-Semitic conversation, so that he could then get various quotes from Galloway saying nasty things about Jews or Israelis, uh, and then uh, break a, a story on that. Galloway actually saw through it and called him out um, and uh, was able to evade the entrapment. And the, the question in that case is, I mean, 
obviously there's no reason to believe that Galloway is an anti-Semite, although many people who criticise Israel are often accused of that. Mm. I mean, the question is really, did he avoid entrapment because he was smart or because he just wasn't yeah. the guy trying that, that Mahmoud was trying to trap? Yeah. I think, um, you know, uh, I think a good way of putting why I uh, feel it's just not journalism and more succinctly, it's creating uh, a new story under false pretenses. Mm. Creating a story under false pretenses. Now, that's a good distinction. That certainly gets away from the gonzo journalism. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's the lie. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, not even the entrapment. It's the lie. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And, I mean, you, you could... Uh, uh, I mean, you talk... I think we've talked before about... Um, the, uh, the vice journalists these days who, you know, in a lot of cases, the story ends up being about themselves. Uh, it does, and how hardcore they are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, they're still going to places where this stuff is happening anyway. Um, and they are still... Um, I, I, don't, um, I don't agree with, uh, with everything that I, they do, but I still consider them journalists. Yeah, I think an interesting point about this, though, is that people would point at the model who got herself into trouble with cocaine and George Galloway and say, well, it's one of these situations where if you don't do the crime, then he's got nothing on you. Yeah, I don't don't accept that because everyone... um... Everyone has their uh, has their their point where they can be bought, um, yeah. Uh, and it, you know it's not always with money with some people. Um, <laughs> Certainly, yeah. I, I, um, but you know, if I'm uh, if I'm an up and coming model, for instance, yeah. With uh, with uh, you know, um, and a multi millionaire from the Middle East flies me to a. Island paradise, and says, you know, multi-million-dollar modelling contract. This is your dream. You'll be set for life. Oh, by the way, I need a bit of coke. Yeah, uh, there's a guy down the road. Uh, obviously, a man of my stature can't just go down and buy some coke. Could you go and pick it up for us? Um, mm. You know, I can totally see that she would. Uh, someone who would not otherwise. Um, well, she wouldn't set out yeah. to become a cocaine dealer, but in that instance, she basically is. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I, I think I do agree with you. I do agree with you. I just think that he has this kind of deniability factor where he can say, "Well, no one made them do anything," and if they're not the kind of person <laughs> to procure cocaine and on sell it to gain advantage in the presence of a wealthy sheikh, and let's be honest, that's not a very flattering thing to be, then they're fine. And they've got nothing to worry about from me. If you're an upstanding citizen who conducts their affairs with propriety, you'll be just fine. I'll have nothing to to catch you with. And I suppose it's it's a really revealing thing in the sense that I think you're right about like everyone has their price as a general rule. And there are very few people who given the right set of circumstances, can't be pushed into doing something that's illegal. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, 
For instance, I can imagine myself in a situation where, first of all, I have nothing against people who want to consume cocaine. That's been well aired on this podcast. <laughs> I think it's up to them. Now, I mean, I'm not sure that there wouldn't be some temptation involved if someone was going to get the coke and they wanted me to go and pick it up for them and there was going to be a quid pro quo. I mean, see, I don't really consider that, that that's ethically wrong. Yeah. While it is illegal, it doesn't offend my sense of morality. Yeah. And so I think there's also this sort of thing that's brought out by this where the things that he's catching people for are obviously in many cases illegal, but I wouldn't necessarily call them unethical. And that's what kind of pisses me off about it. And, and pisses me off about him. Yeah. Because I guarantee you... Because what he's doing is clearly unethical. Yeah. And I guarantee you that Mr. Mahmood has snorted cocaine at one time or another in his life. I'd be very surprised if he hadn't. I take back the guarantee. But <laughs> our lawyers advise us. <laughs> our lawyers, i.e. me, advise us to take back that guarantee. But what I, what I would say is I'd be surprised if no illegal drugs had ever passed through, passed, system. <laughs> passed, uh, through the, the mind of Mr. Mahmoud, uh, being a hard journalist, hard-charging journalist that he is. So um, I, I just think that you've got this really, it's kind of this really squeak, like what's the word? It's just filthy. It's dirty. Well, yeah. you have this guy who is essentially catching people on technicalities. Yeah. By doing something that's not necessarily illegal, but most people would consider unethical. There's this kind of inversion where the guy who is unethical but legal gets the guy who's ethical but But illegal. (laughs) And that's just gross. And I think that that's fundamentally... Especially since he's entrapped them into it in the first place. That's it. It's It's fundamentally why I think I'm so just, you know, there's nothing nice to be said about it. (laughs) And I suppose uh, it'd probably be worth pointing out that, um, you know, over the course of his career, he did get some uh, some amazing articles as well. Um, sure. Uh, Do you have any examples specifically uh, in mind? Uh, I would, pro- as a um, as an avid cricket fan. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I would say uncovering the uh, the match fixing scandals, um, uh, or helping to. So the question is, how much entrapment was yeah, involved? Yeah, and I don't. I, it's now that this has come out, it's something that I'd be interested in going back and having a uh, having a so. look at. Almost. So. Um, yeah, um, because uh, you know, uh, within the uh, within the world of cricket, um, there's always been rumours of uh, of illegal betting and match fixing and uh, and all this sort of thing. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, when he was working for News of the World. Uh, I don't think it was just him. I think there were some other journalists as well, but I could be wrong on that. Um, uh, but News of the World uncovered uh, some, um, some you know, clear uh, examples of people um, basically uh, uh, accepting, uh, accepting money from bookmakers to uh, not so much fix the outcome of matches, um, but do certain things at certain times in the game. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, okay. Well, let's let's move on to the next yeah. topic, mate. Um, now, are we going to do the Obama reforms or are we going to do the Bill Cosby allegations? I would think... Uh, I think we should go on to maybe the... Uh, 
the Obama reforms. Okay. Because it's an interesting one, but I don't think it'll be something we'll be talking about for particularly long. Um, you never know. When, and so I, I was thinking we sort of, uh, you know, uh, give people what's going on there. Mm. We're pretty much covered in uh, 10, 15 minutes tops, and then we can go on to the, uh, the, you know, the broader Cosby topic and all that that entails to um, basically just chat about until we get sick of chatting about it and then we finish. Okay. Well, so far as what's going on with Obama's immigration initiative, um, on Thursday, American time, President Obama announced a series of executive actions that will basically, the effect of which, no point going into the mechanics, the effect of it is to give 5 million people um, or unauthorised immigrants protection from uh, deportation. Um, so... The background for this is that about two years ago, there was a major initiative to reform the immigration system um, that uh, Obama spearheaded. And it passed the Senate, but could never pass the House. Yeah. Um, the extremist Republicans in the House were very, very rowdy and prevented John Boehner, who was the Speaker of the House and the head of the Republican Party in that body, from passing the legislation. Yeah, because it had the, it had, you know, pretty uh, high level bipartisan support, didn't it? Yes, it yeah. did. And I actually think that um, um, basically Boehner was operating on this idea of a majority of the majority. So it's not even that the House couldn't pass it, but that the Republican majority decided because of the fact that a majority of the Republican majority didn't majority didn't agree that they wouldn't pass it. So it was essentially um, uh, Boehner's decision yeah. not to pass it. And um, that's obviously left a lot of people in limbo who should not be. And Obama, after the midterm elections, and with a view to shoring up support in the Hispanic community, which is the fastest growing minority in the US, um, has passed this or is going to um, put in place this series of executive orders to basically do what the legislation was yeah. seeking to do. And what he's saying is that you guys in Congress can pass laws to neuter my executive orders, but in the event that you don't pass them, my executive order will remain in place. Yeah. So um, what I like about uh, about what he's done here is that um, you know he uh, he had this um, this bill. That had high-level Republican support as well, um, but due to just the uh, you know dicking around and obstructionism of uh, of certain Republicans, it never got through. And we've spoken about that on a podcast uh, previously. Um, just the the sheer willful obstructionism yeah. um, of the uh, of the of this uh, presidency with the uh, fr from the Republicans. Uh, now that he's basically at the stage of being lame duck president uh, and the end is in sight for him. He's turned around and going, well, fuck you guys. <laughs> I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to just bypass you uh, to the extent that I can. Um, and I kind of like that. You have concerns about it. Um, just, I think it's also, before we get on to the deeper issue, yeah. it's worth mentioning that the power play here is that the Republicans know that they're basically going 
to never get a hold of the White House if they don't at some point um, curry some favour with the Hispanic minority. And so Obama is basically daring them to oppose this executive order. And he can do that because he knows that they need to tread very lightly. Mm. And so this becomes an argument about process rather than substance, where the Republicans are basically, they don't have the balls to say that they're against illegal immigration, or sorry, they're against naturalising or giving rights to illegal immigrants because they want to curry favour with the um, Hispanic community. Um, but they will say, of course, that Obama is acting like a king and that this is ruled by decree rather than a democracy. Yeah. One thing that uh, interests me about this story, um, and it's something I don't know the answer to, I'm not sure if, uh, if you do either, um, is there a uh, clear sense of which way the uh, Hispanic community, uh, you know, in general sways? Is it uh, oh, overwhelmingly is, Democrat? Is it? okay? Yeah, absolutely. Because I remember hearing uh, this was back at uni, so we're talking mm. 2004, I think it was. Mm. I can't even remember what the class was, but it was something. Uh, and um, it was one of my classmates who was talking, and they were trying to uh, they were trying to convince me that this, the uh, uh, the Hispanic vote, and again, not many people actually vote in America, mm. so the Hispanic vote might be different from uh, the general feel of the of the majority of Hispanics, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, uh, actually, uh, tends to go uh, more to the Republican side of things. Not um, in recent elections. I couldn't yeah. speak to ones before the recent elections, and the argument has always been for the Republicans. Well. These guys are a natural fit for us in terms of social conservatism. Yeah. And we can bring them on board with family values, exactly. opposition to gay marriage, um, you know, all that uh, good stuff from the Republicans' perspective. Um, but because the base of the Republican Party has been so rapidly anti-immigration, yeah. and you have these sort of Tea Party activists bussing themselves in to set up picket lines against, you know, buses full of children that arrived on the southern border of the United States over the last few months. Yeah. Um, that has really turned the Hispanic um, community away from the Republican Party and they overwhelmingly voted in favour of Obama okay. last time. And the interesting thing here as well, I think to note, is that no president has ever deported as many people as Obama has. Yeah. And so the good faith of his attempts to get this thing passed are pretty clear in the fact that over 2013, he deported more than 400,000 people. Um, now, in 2008, just over 300,000 were deported by Bush. Yeah. But in the mid-90s, it was about 50,000. So there's been a real push, actually, by Obama to deport people to show the Republicans that he's serious about securing the border, he's serious about enforcing the law, um, but he always wanted the quid pro quo to be, well, give me the legislation that will enable us to have many illegal people who are currently in the country become contributing taxpayers. Yeah. And they've not basically done that, which is why he's doing the executive order. Now, you say that that's great. Just uh, just one thing oh, on, sure. the, uh, on the... Like the 
the sheer amount of people who have been deported under the Obama administration. I'm sure. just trying to find it now. I was reading an article earlier, um, and I'm just trying to find it again, mm. where uh, uh, I, I seem to remember them saying that uh, the um, the numbers of um, of uh, illegal of um, illegal immigrants arriving to uh, to America um, is actually at uh, has been at a a, a, a lull. Mm. Um, uh, and I suppose that doesn't necessarily have um, uh, anything to do with the uh, number of people being deported, because some of those, uh, a lot of those people might have been there well before um, the I, Obama administration. That's right. But it just it sort of struck me as interesting that while less people might be uh, coming illegally, more and more people are being deported. Yeah, um, absolutely. And there's no question that it's um, it's heavier than it's ever been in terms of enforcement. I think also, by the way, just um, so far as the voting Democrat by Latinos in the last election, Obama won 75% of the Latino vote. Um, so to get to the deeper sort of constitutional issues here, I agree with you entirely that the end that Obama is um, aiming for is a good one. And I also sympathise with just the id that he's channeling with the fuck you to Republicans for being so goddamn unreasonable. Yeah. But I'm super concerned about the reach of executive authority and the fact that this does seem to widen the scope of it somewhat. I mean, this is an incredibly consequential, impactful initiative for the executive branch to undertake without any approval from the congressional branch. Um, and I just don't like the idea of a future Republican president having this kind of scope for action without approval by Congress. Um, and it's always worth, you know, it's obvious that whenever you widen power for a party that perhaps you sympathise with, you are actually widening power for everyone in the future, including the people you don't like. Yeah. And it's not as though Obama hasn't... Um, uh, widen the scope of many things which I disagree with. I mean, he's, uh, mm. um, you know, the NSA has just gone from strength to strength under Obama. It has, right. Um, uh, drone strikes uh, have just gone from strength to strength under Obama. Um, That's it. So, it's, and, and the Democrats aren't even really the ones who are hugely in favour of executive power. Mm. So perish the thought, the next guy who gets in who's a Republican who has strongly ideological lawyers with their unitary executive theory, which is basically the idea that the president can do virtually whatever he likes. Um, so my view is that while I really sympathise with what he's doing, and I really love to watch the Republicans squeal because they've been such obstructionistic assholes, I actually think on balance it's not the right thing to do. Um, and, you know, that's really a subjective judgment. But when I look at all the other areas where executive power seems to be reaching untrammeled, I just am worried enough about that in other areas that I think it's not worth extending it in this area. And what I think we're seeing right now is basically a really fundamental reshaping of the constitutional conventions in the American system. And this trend of increasing executive power, uh, in my opinion, is only going to continue. And yeah. I, wor I really am worried about where that ends up. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think I've spoken before on one of these things about how 
uh, I, I think the uh, the American democratic model is already pretty much broken anyway. Um, yeah, and there's an argument to be made that if it's broken, well, really, what's the problem with this extension of executive power over time? And, you know, arguably, the system will function better with it. But I think that that's, that's an ill-considered point of view um, because what the Americans don't have are strong conventions restraining the executive in a context where the executive is unchecked by the Congress. Um, in representative democracy where our executive is embedded in the legislature, yeah. there are certain checks and balances involved in that system that we've derived from the English Westminster system that keep things working relatively well. But I just worry about a guy at the head of the world's superpower that is able to do more and more without hearing what anyone else has to say about it. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's my view on it, basically. I'm against it. Fair enough. Yeah. So what about uh, next topic? Yeah. Um, Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby. Depressing. Super, super depressing. So do you want to get through the facts of that one, man? Or? Uh, yeah. So, uh, so Bill Cosby, beloved uh, TV comic um, and, uh, and sitcom star of the 80s. Um, uh, basically, in a lot of uh, a lot of hot water recently over historical uh, rape allegations, and the allegations stretch back as far as the sixties. Yeah, and so, I think it's seven women now who have come forward. Uh, yes, that's right. Although there are there is talk of many more, hmm. um, at least in the uh, case that he settled in the mid noughties there was mention of thirteen other cases yeah. that the um, plaintiff knew about that so yeah and a lot of uh, a lot of the women who have uh, who have come forward were some of those other uh, witnesses to that one which was um, settled mm. yeah so that's I think a really important fact to highlight yeah there a lot of these women aren't uh, you know uh, aren't people who heard about this story in the news uh, and had some tenuous connection to Bill Cosby mm. and uh, decided to come forward, as you might think um, uh, they would be if they were uh, attempted extortionists or something, which is one of the... Um, yeah, not to mention just um, yeah. media, like media money grabbers. Yeah. Like, yeah. These, are, these are women who, would have been, who were prepared to speak to a court under oath um, as part of the... Um, uh, as part of this court, uh, it was a civil uh, matter, wasn't it? It was a civil matter, yeah. yes. Um, uh, and when that was settled out of court and they were denied that uh, that chance that they were uh, presumably eager to um, to speak about, uh, when they were denied the opportunity to actually have their say, they then came forward themselves um, of their uh, of their own accord. Uh, and I think that's an, uh, mm. an important point to make because um, uh, there was... In a in an interview with Cosby, I think it was in two thousand and seven. Mm. Um, uh, he he talked about people trying to you know exploit him as a as a, and his celebrity status. Sure, uh, he wouldn't. He uh, in saying why he wasn't going to comment on on uh, certain allegations that were being uh, starting to come forward at that point. The implication being that these were uh, that these were uh, women uh, who were basically trying to grab a bit of money from him. Um, 
Mm. But there are so many of them. Yeah. And I can't help but think that it's more likely than not that he actually is guilty of this kind of thing. I agree with you. Uh, like on the one hand, you you know you have the presumption of innocence, but on the other hand, you know you can look at the facts as they are being presented and form an opinion on it. Um, and uh, and if someone was to ask me, do you think it's more likely or not? I would say yeah, I think it is more likely, especially considering the the similarities between with what all these women are saying. They, like there, there yeah. seems to be uh, an mo uh, of drugging the women. Um, yeah, or making very sort of violent and surprising moves on women. Mm. Now, you can write that off as one fabricator imitating another fabricator for extra credibility. Yeah. You can. Nonetheless, there are so many of them and they don't seem to stand to gain much, especially no. the ones who've already been involved in outing him a number of years ago. Yeah. And the fact that he's said absolutely nothing about it as it's become another as it's become a hot issue again. Hmm. The yeah, the only thing that's sort of come from uh, him is a statement from his uh, his lawyers that he's not going to respond to decade old discredited allegations mm-hmm. and then that statement had to be very hurriedly amendment amended after um presumably uh the uh, the lawyers for the the woman who he settled out of court with uh, had words with him um, because uh, her allegations you know clearly couldn't have been said to have been discredited certainly not they could not be said to have been credited mm. which is the interesting sort of weird limbo that a settlement leaves yeah. a case in yeah but certainly not discredited yeah um, so look it's very I mean, what it is, first and foremost, is fucking tragic because the guy is a cultural icon and has been considered for many years um, a, a hugely important and positive influence on uh, uh, building bridges between black and white America. Um, the idea being that basically the Cosby Show, the Bill Cosby Show, demonstrated a kind of benevolent black family patriarch and that many sort of white families watched this sitcom and considered that, wow, you know, the black people aren't so different from us and it sort of facilitated understanding and goodwill and that that was actually an important cultural influence. Um, so it's a very tragic thing for someone who've ha- who's had such a positive impact to at the same time have seemingly had such a negative one on the lives of individual women. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, people sort of go, wow, I can't believe that those two things can coexist in the same person. And I frankly don't find it surprising in the slightest. Well, I don't find it surprising that, um, you know, uh, people who, um, uh, that people can have both good and bad in them. Um, mm. uh, it, what interests me about it is, uh, so is questions of, uh, of public perception of morality. Yes. Because he was Mr. Morality. He was. Now, you mentioned to me before that he was often critical of the edgier, racier black comics. Yeah, Eddie so Murphy. Eddie Murphy and, uh, and Richard Pryor in particular. Um, and uh, and I, think, uh, I think both of them, but uh, the one which sort of stands out in my memory is, uh, is you know, 
Eddie Murphy having absolutely no time for uh, for Bill Cosby, um, uh, because uh, you know back in the day Eddie Murphy's stand up was you know some of the filthiest stuff going around. Absolutely. Um, uh, and um, and uh, and you know Bill wasn't uh, Bill wasn't a fan of that at all, and was not shy in uh, in spreading those views around. Um, and uh, it's inter- and you know while this is going on, trying to be Mr. Morality and um, you know the shining light of uh, of black comedy in the United States, he's drugging and raping women. Um, allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> How lawyers advise. Sorry, yeah. can't help it. It's like a fucking flinch instinct. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I. It's. I mean, I think it's entirely believable. And you were talking before about cultural mores, and I think that it's a really interesting thing that this guy thought he could get away with it. Yeah, and I think that if things had stayed the same in the culture as they were in the 70s up until now, he may well have gotten away with it. Mm. But I don't think that Bill Cosby of the 70s, who was allegedly involved in these incidents, thought that women would be empowered as they have been over subsequent decades and that the stigma would be removed from the victims of of sexual assault and violence as it has been. And that people would be more confident to come forward than they were in the 70s. Obviously, yeah. it was illegal in the 70s, but I suppose it was far less likely for victims to come forward, especially with the power differential. Yeah. And, um, yeah, uh, assuming that uh, what these women are saying is true, um, he would have known what he was doing was wrong. Of course. But he assumed he could get away with it. Um, and for for many years was proven right about that until the cultural norms shifted. Yeah, um, and you had an interesting uh, an interesting question about what uh, what sort of things are people doing right now mm. that they are sure they can get away with, mm. and they can get away with uh, at the moment, um, but might not be able to in thirty forty years time, um, and and will be blamed in the future for doing what they're doing. Yeah. And the first one that sprang to mind for me was um, prison violence and the condition in which prisoners are kept. Um, Not so much in what, you know, the prisoners are doing in the prison, Mm. I I assume, but how we outside in the community feel about it. Um, Yeah. So... So it's not... Yeah. I mean, what I was saying before was that you have this acknowledged reality of rape and violence in prison which the culture basically treats with a nod and a wink as just par for core when you go to jail. Really, it's just, that's just the US, though. You think? I think so. As in, it's sort of within the pop, within you know the uh, popular culture conception of prison everywhere in the Western world because of what comes out of America. But I, like, I, I don't know the statistics of it. Um, but uh, oh, look, I mean, I think I don't think I, as in I don't think uh, you know in say uh, certainly a lot of European countries and even Australia and New Zealand and places like that, it is anywhere near the level of um, 
in terms of violence and rape and things like that going on in prisons, as you see in the maximum security overcrowded shitholes of the states. Yeah, I could not speak to that. That's yeah. actually an interesting question, but I think you might be right about that, although... Um, that is a completely unfounded opinion I have with absolutely no evidence to back it up. Yeah, um, all but, I've got to go off is anecdotal evidence from uh, several friends of mine uh, back in Batemans Bay who've spent time in prison for various unfortunate activities. Yeah. And they saw some incredibly violent things okay. in prison. Um, you know, one springs to mind someone getting stabbed with a sharpened toothbrush and dying. Yeah. Um, that happened in an Australian prison friend of mine was a witness to that so yeah that's an example i suppose but you know you're not saying that nothing happens you're no saying not saying that nothing much yeah. much less happens yeah so like the only thing that i'm you know remotely basing that on uh was um when i was living up in uh, in harvey bay on the fraser coast there was a um there was a fairly large prison at maryborough mm. um and it might have just been that we didn't you know you don't hear about it um uh, and I suppose with things like rapes and things like that, you wouldn't have. But in terms of, you know, m you know, major assaults, people having to go to hospital, people being killed and things in prison, um, there just weren't any while I was there. Right. Um, so I suppose the reason we thought that this was analogous is because it's something that is widely acknowledged as illegal that should not happen, just like sexual assault and violence, but it does and there, there seems to be very little in the way of serious measures taken to prevent it. And I think that in the future, people will be held to account for that because it is utterly inhumane, especially when you consider how many people who are put in prison are just drug offenders. Um, and, and it's less directly analogous because, you know, drugs are illegal. But I do think that in the future, people will look back and they will be flabbergasted that... People who use drugs and have addiction problems, which is obviously a medical condition more than it is a criminal one, are subjected to prisons with all of the violence yeah. and sexual, yeah, all yeah. the violence in in those institutions. I think it's. I think this is more of an instance of uh, community expectations, and you know, uh, I think it'd be more analogous to a case of say. Uh, you know, uh, gay marriage or something like that. People, like a community, will look back in thirty years and go, "I can't believe a community felt like that," as opposed to an individual doing something they know is wrong, mm. but thinking they can get away with it. Yeah. And thirty years later, suddenly not getting away with it anymore. I, mean, I just wonder if any of the current prison wardens will be held to account ah. for their utterly negligent approach to okay. keeping people safe in prisons. Uh, I mean, I do think that it comes home to individuals ultimately in that in that context. Yeah, I completely forgot about prison wardens. I, I was trying I was trying to think of a way to bring it back to individuals. To individuals. And I was wondering if you were talking about uh, prisoners who had raped and killed in prison. No, you know, thirty years later being held to account for it. I, yeah, I mean, um, I, I really do think that these people should be held to account for allowing these things to happen and not really kicking up a stink about it. Yeah. Um, I don't think that part of your prison sentence um, for crimes that you've committed, whatever they are, um, should be uh, to be subject to violence and rape. I mean, the idea of someone being terrified of going into prison, I think someone should hate the idea of going into prison because they're yeah. being deprived of their liberty. Their liberty. But the idea that someone's terrified of going into prison yeah. seems to me to be just like 
straight up cruel and unusual punishment. Um, I can't see how it's not cruel and unusual punishment if you have a reasonable apprehension of sexual violence when you go into prison. Yeah. That's fucking wrong. Um, and even the Supreme Court has ruled to the effect that the Californian or overcrowding in Californian prisons is cruel and unusual punishment. And I like to think that in 20 years' time, we're going to have markedly different views about how acceptable that is, or at least that the Western world, and particularly the United States, will have different views about how acceptable that is. Yeah. Um, the other thing which I thought was uh, was interesting about the, uh, the Cosby case mm. um, uh, in terms of social mores is... Um, is what the power of celebrity, how, how far the power of celebrity can extend and what we will let celebrities get away with. Oh, absolutely. Um, and uh, and I, I can't help but find it, uh, you know, interesting in that sense, in that while he was at the height of his fame mm. uh, is when a lot of these things were occurring mm. and it seems to be one of the main things that was stopping the women from coming forward because uh, who would believe me? Um, now that uh, he's been out of the, the spotlight for so long, yes. they seem more comfortable. Um, yeah, but as a counter to that, and I think an interesting quirk of the case, yeah. is that you could say, and some commentators are saying this, the reason that these things have become um, so public and, and everyone's paying so much attention to them again is because Cosby is experiencing something of the career revival. Has he? Yes. I didn't know. Over the last few years. Really? Yes, yes. He's actually in talks with a major American television station for a new sitcom ah. they pulled out of. I missed that. Um, he was also on an enormous stand-up tour. Thank so you. there was definitely something of a career revival going on. So you could actually argue that the reason that these allegations have come forth, again, with renewed vigour, is because of his career having something of a refresh. Okay. Although, of course, not to the extent of power and yeah. influence that he wielded in the 80s. So I don't think that it's exclusive of the point you're making, but I think it's a weird thing where perhaps a certain level of celebrity actually makes it more likely that you get done for the things you've done. Okay. And then once you kind of pass well, yeah, a certain well, threshold, you, you can get away so with, powerful. Yeah. There yeah. Is, yeah, I mean, there is so much that you can get away with when... Uh, I mean... Well, yeah, I mean, the standout example is Jimmy Savile from, the, from Britain, the yeah. um, terrible bloke who was a cultural icon for, for decades, who um, abused hundreds of children, it yeah. turns out. Um, so, I mean, he's really, like, obviously, he's kind of on a different level, even to Cosby, if Cosby's done what these yeah. women are saying. But um, it's this indicator that, and I, I kind of get this sense as well, like the famous publicist, Max, was it Max? Well, I mean, it's, it's the, uh, a lot of people talk about, um, you know, fame and celebrity. Yeah. Um, as if it's not that important. Mm. And in a strict sense, it really isn't. These people aren't doing, you know, that much that you could say is actually important to the world. But at the end of the day, um, to, uh, to just use a little bit of um, a quote from Game of Thrones, actually, power resides where people believe it resides. So, um, yeah. And when you've reached a certain level of celebrity, you do have, um, you know, when you get to, a, to that level, you, you actually do wield a lot of power. And when you have that power, you find yourself not getting prosecuted for, um, or, you know, yeah, and it's doing illegal shit. And it's just, it's the 70s. Yeah. And I think that a lot of blokes who were particularly famous felt that they had impunity. They, they could act with impunity. 
they had immunity, so they could act with impunity, and they are being proved wrong decades later when they're no longer so powerful, or at least in yeah. the case of Jimmy Savile. I mean, that fucking guy had to die yeah. before anyone would actually say what went on. Um, what was uh, fucking Rolf Harris uh, is another example. Right. Now, um, now is he the famous publicist? Or no, he's, he was a... Um, he was a really terrible Australian singer right. um, who did songs like Timey Kangaroo Downsport and, oh, and shit like that. Jesus and he became like massively famous, way more famous in the UK than he did in Australia, and which happens know. for some reason. Yeah. Like a lot of shit Australian Well, that's because, artists, yeah, they appropriate uh, cultural icons yeah. that we don't have much sympathy for because it's not realistic, but it fits a caricature. For yeah. yeah, and I think I think he was a like, clear example of that. Sell people like, what they want. One of the one of those people, one of those celebrities was like, he's you know he was a beloved celebrity in the uh, in the UK for decades, mm. uh, whereas in Australia he was always considered maybe a little bit of an embarrassment, um, but uh, but just in the last few years, um, uh, a lot of women coming forward, um, and he's now being tried and convicted of uh, of sexual assault. And actually, might I also add, by the way, that you could trace a line direct from here to the scandals in the Catholic Church. Yeah. A lot of the substance of which um, occurred took place in the 70s. Yeah. Um, Actually, that's so true. what you have here is this kind of interesting dynamic where all of these old sins are being uncovered um, decades later because they really do have an enormous impact on the victims. Yeah. People don't fucking forget them. No, and that's, that's with you for life. Yeah, you, you wonder. I mean, this is kind of this idea of like, uh, you know, in the end, there's always justice. And I suppose in a kind of weird way, as depressing as it is, it's heartening yeah. that such people are getting like their just desserts. It, eventually, the, the bad shit that these people have done is coming back to coming back to haunt them. Um, uh, opposed to that is the ongoing example of uh, Roman Polanski, who we discussed a little while ago. Excellent earlier. example. Um, now that was and, 80s. And it, it was seventies as well, wasn't it? Or I 80s? thought it was eighties. Yeah, yeah, but you know, similar epoch. Yeah, <laughs> epoch. Well said. Uh, and all you know, relatively similar, um, uh, you know, facts to a lot of the Cosby examples, except with a much younger girl, um, a fourteen-year-old. Yeah, uh, you know, um, plied with alcohol and drugs allegedly, um, and. Uh, now he's fled prosecution, hasn't he? Yeah. That's so he name. he was, uh, you know, even back then, was under. Uh, wait, when did he? Uh, when did he flee? I could not tell you. I couldn't tell you either. But it was he's been out of the states for a long time. Mm. Um, still making movies. Probably. Yeah, still, still like he, he fucking won an Oscar for for the pianist. Uh, oh, he won an Oscar for that. Yeah. Well, I think um, well, I, I I should actually take that. I know the lead actor. Uh, uh, Adrian Brody won Best Actor, um, and it, uh, the pianist. It was a uh, it was a Holocaust movie, um, and uh, so I suppose I mean the guy Polanski is never convicted, but the fact that he fled the court proceeding, yeah, is not a justice proceedings is not a good indicator as to his innocence. Yeah, anyway, and hasn't you know has never come back to face them. Uh, but you still have to this day uh, real powerful heavyweights in Hollywood. Who uh, who support him? Um, and I I do not understand that. No, because um, I mean this is not Edward Snowden fleeing 
a system that's entirely arrayed against him because of the nature and quality of what he's done. This is a guy... On an ethical stance. This yeah. is a guy who is facing prosecution for drugging and raping a 14-year-old girl. Yeah. Like, if you're, if you're his friend, convinced of his innocence, you, you want him to clear his name, don't you? I would have thought so. I don't have an analogous thing in my own life to compare that to. Um, well, thankfully. Thankfully, yeah. But um, like, I, I, I feel like if he was my mate, if, like, uh, if I was someone in like 1970s, 80s Hollywood who considered Roman Polanski a friend, I, I, I feel like I'd want, and I thought he was innocent, I'd want him to clear his name. I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel comfortable about him just fucking off and saying and having that hanging over him for his whole life? I don't, That's I don't an interesting question because yeah. certainly the justice system doesn't inspire a great deal of faith. No, that's true. So, um, I mean, yeah, that's a tricky one. Let's not, it's very easy to go down that rabbit hole, though. I, yeah. I, I assume at some point this will come up. Um, so that's probably where we're going to leave it. Um, yeah. We will leave you all with a clip from one of our illustrious listeners, Patrick Storman, who um, went to school with us, full disclosure, and um, decided that he wanted to send in uh, uh, an audio file of a response to last week's discussion about science. So without any further ado, um, we'll leave you with Storman. Have a good week. We'll see y'all, or you'll hear us next week. Hello, Brown, Rod. Just a few little thoughts. Firstly, driving a truck. I've been driving this truck all night. I'm only driving this truck all night because someone invented the light bulb. I think the whole assumption that science makes our lives better, you know, needs to be explored a little bit more. Nautical science certainly didn't work out that well for Africans, you know, in the 14 and 1500s. The other comment you made was that science doesn't often, uh, doesn't sort of get the backing for those that, you know, people like yourselves that find it so interesting quite frankly I find it a bit boring you know what I mean but that's because I studied science anyway and uh, I think the reason why is because you know once we sort of start understanding stuff it loses all its mystery and that's what you know makes it interesting to us as human beings that might be a bit deep but you know it is 54 past midnight this is the third time this is my third attempt at recording this voicemail message because as you know when I you know start recording stuff I start sounding like an idiot anyway um, yeah, and I do suspect that the only reason why we, t you know, took interest in the space race, you know, like the 60s and 70s was because it wasn't so much about Some fucking idiots on Channel 40. Hang on. It wasn't so much about, you know, the space race or who was the best scientist. It was more about, you know, uh, what was better, communism or capitalism. Because, you know, we had much more emotional cap capital. Yeah, jeez, that's a big word, isn't it? Emotional capital invested in that than, uh, you know, atoms and shit. Anyway, mate, um, I know I'm, you know, sounding like someone who really didn't have a tertiary education. So I'll, I'll leave you in peace. I would have written you an email, at which point I could have, you know, gone back, used a thesaurus and used bigger words and shit, but, yeah, don't really have time for that, you know? All right, thanks, mate. Keep up the good work. Bye-bye.